On this uh, rainy Wednesday afternoon, it's time once again for this collaboration between the uh, Star Tribune editorial board, John Rash and uh, Patricia Lopez here, Chad Hartman, from WCCO. John, as we are speaking right now live in CCO, the president is appearing at a press conference with the uh, president of uh, Finland. He will be taking questions while we're on the air, so I know Dan and Adam will monitor it. I'm going to ask you and Pat the same question I asked Major Garrett, who was kind enough to join me yesterday. When the president's top people behind the scenes are assessing this potential impeachment inquiry, what part of this entire story as it stands today do you believe concerns them most? The facts and that they are available, findable, seemingly, according to many observers, attempted to cover, be covered up, but when that they emerge, they will uh, have a portrait of a president who is acting against the best wishes of the nation and in many ways an unconstitutional manner, which is what the whole impeachment inquiry is all about. I think that um, the fact that this is widening so rapidly, um, people are coming to the realization that the Ukrainian phone call was not a one-off it is just one incident in a much broader effort that involves, at, at the very least, the State Department, the Justice Department, the U.S. Attorney General. They have made similar requests to the uh, one they made of uh, President Zelensky in um, Ukraine, uh, of Italy, of um, Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom. Australia. Uh, and Aust- the Australian Prime Minister. That one was another personal phone call by the President to mm-hmm. the Prime Minister. Yep. Um, and all of it in service of uh, an attempt to discredit um, the Mueller investigation and to sort of turn this around and investigate the investigators. And I I think it should be remembered that uh, Pompeo, who is actively part of all of this, was the former head of the CIA under Trump. So he knows a lot about where the levers are, where to hide things, where to find things. I I mean, it's not that... um, that this country does not have the authority or the ability to ask uh, a foreign government for assistance in an international matter. Mm -hmm. This is different because it is being done in the service not of national security, but a president's personal political gain. And that's different. Let's not forget this, Pat, too, because this one came out later Friday, and I don't don't think it even received as much play as it should have, that the reporting came out that when— the president meets with the top Russian officials the day after yes. he fires Comey. He says to them, I'm, I'm okay. Concerned. I'm okay with your involvement because mm-hmm. guess what? This country has been doing this forever. Think about that. You have the day before the president of the United States firing the head of the FBI because he's not playing ball. He's not going soft on investigations involving his own people. And now after, by the way, his own people at this point have said that clear cut, it was Russia. It was Russia involved in 16 and it was Russia who wanted you to win. And here he is with the top two people outside of Vladimir Putin in the Oval Office. And he's saying, listen, we do the same thing. So no problem what you did. We do the same thing. I mean, that that alone is just incredible coming from the presidents of the United States to the Russian Foreign minister and ambassador. So right these there. are not low-level uh, officials. And this uh, it came after he had been completely briefed 
by U.S. intelligence on the extent of the Russian efforts. He knew at that point His that own this people. was being directed at the highest levels of the Russian government. Yep. So is it any surprise that Vladimir Putin is now using our 2020 election as a punchline? He actually joked about this in an energy panel where, uh, you know, somebody asked him about the possibility of interfering the election. And he says, yes, we're going to do it. And then in a stage whisper adds, but don't tell anybody. Yep. This is supposed to be funny. We already know. We've been warned. Our state has been warned to expect more efforts to hack in yep. by Russians and others. This is this is not a joking matter. And the revelation you referenced, Chad, in terms of what President Trump had told those two high-profile Russian visitors to the White House came just a day after his own acting director of national intelligence said directly that the biggest threat to the United States of America is not, as he called it, a kinetic attack on the country, but instead an attack on our democracy. And as you and I and Patricia and all of our listeners know, democracy is the DNA of, of what our country is all about. And so when you have someone, the president appointed, that concerned about what's happening, and then that kind of revelation came out, and then you have these other in, international instances of it potentially being undermined by what the president reportedly has asked of foreign leaders or sent through his emissaries, including his own personal lawyer. That's why this is elevated to such a significant level across the country and certainly on Capitol Hill. I think it's also elevated. You asked why, uh, why is this different? It's because this is something people can pretty easily understand. Yep. I, I think they can, right? And, and, and here's another thing that they can understand. And John, you go first on this one. The president, this is before the press conference, which is taking place now, when he answered questions uh, in the Oval Office, was again saying the whistleblower has to be identified, has to be identified. Again, saying my call was perfect. This information is not correct. We need to know who this person is. I, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch the Republicans on this whistleblower protection because many of them over the years – have been very passionate about protecting whistleblowers. To his credit, Chuck Grassley, senator from Iowa, who's been very strong about protecting whistleblowers, yesterday continued that, said, it appears to me that the whistleblower handled this in an appropriate way and deserves all the protections available to him and her. I want to see how that plays out because we've had Lindsey Graham and some others who were headed the road of this is just hearsay to the point where the inspector general had to come out again and say it is well more than hearsay and that is absolutely an erroneous charge. Indeed, it's documented not by the transcript because it's important to remember that there was not a transcript of the call that was released but a characterization of the call in terms of what the president said to the president of Ukraine. And you're quite right that there are legal protections for a whistleblower and this is an extraordinary case that every potential whistleblower, and they're extraordinarily important to every institution in this country that we can have people who can be truth-tellers without fearing retribution. And it's quite transparent what the president is attempting to do here is he wants to identify whoever the whistleblower is and then make it open season on his and her character. And there's nothing that says— And say this person was all about an agenda, wasn't exactly. being open, wasn't being fair, out to get me, deep state. Even He's if the hunting. facts match. They said they've hunted, they're hunting for him, yep. which would be a violation. I, I think it's also notable. We now know that um, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo 
uh, omitted the fact that he was in on the call until just recently. At, at uh, best, he was remarkably evasive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I would call it a, a lie of omission yeah. uh, because yeah. he should have volunteered that information. But isn't it interesting that in all the days since then, he has never challenged what is actually in that memorandum? Not one fact. Well, that's the thing. Outside of the president, who continues to say the call was perfect mm-hmm. and it doesn't match up, if anybody objectively looks at what, and here's an interesting point Angus King made last night, that he had his staff read verbatim what the memo says. Mm-hmm. It goes about 10 minutes and 20 seconds. Remember, the call reportedly takes 33 minutes. Mm -hmm. And let's add the president of Ukraine speaks English, Mm -hmm. right? Because you might say, well, translators. We saw him. He speaks English. Okay. That means there's 20 minutes approximately. How about let's say half? There's 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. We still don't know what's there. Yeah, this is just what made it into the memorandum. Right. And the 10 minutes is not a verbatim transcript. No. It's a characterization thereof. And so if indeed there were calls that the the public has not had the purview of or Congress hasn't regarding Presidents Putin and Trump and other world leaders, when you asked me at the beginning what perhaps the White House fears most, it's the facts of what happened yep. on those calls and how the president positioned the United States. Well, I'll add, because Adam is monitoring this, and I appreciate Adam for doing that. Right now, as the president is speaking right now, Pat, he is going off again on Adam Schiff, and that Adam Schiff should be facing treason because how he cited what was in the memo and, and the sequence, he did this. And so the president tosses around treason mm-hmm. like you and I toss out, hey, what are we having for lunch? Right. I mean, it's just so casually that the president of the United States uses this phrase. It's it's really alarming. Uh, you know, first of all, anyone who he perceives as disloyal is, you know, has committed treason in his yeah. eyes. And now the impeachment. And they're an enemy to the country, not just yes. disagreeing with him. They're an enemy to the country. Right. Uh, and now he is characterizing, openly characterizing the impeachment inquiry itself as a coup. It is not a coup. It is the rule of law in this country. It is constitutionally sanctioned. And uh, he's not apparently content with just saying that. He now has ads that are just terrible propaganda. I've seen them, and they're awful. I will say this, because I looked that up, and I haven't seen the ad yet. I I did look back in, in 98, and there were Democrats in defending Bill Clinton who also casually used the word coup. Anybody uses the word coup Mm-hmm. At any point, because, John, by the way, the coup, if somehow miraculously you saw 20 Republican senators change, the other party wouldn't be in charge. Mike Pence would be in charge. A right. coup doesn't put the number one person in the same party in well, charge. And it doesn't do it without the support of Republicans. Yes. They c- you couldn't do it unilaterally from one party. So right. that that's what gives the lie to all of this. And, yes, Democrats did that. That was wrong then. But I don't believe it ever came from the president himself. No. And that and not. that is different. And now to launch a campaign to persuade Americans that what's going on is somehow illegal or un- unconstitutional, I, you know, you don't you don't have a peaceful transfer of power then. That is becoming a shakier and shakier prospect. The further he goes down this road of, uh, you know, going after political opponents as uh, being treasonous, going after legitimate ways to hold him accountable as being a coup. 
Um, we just our, our institutions can't withstand that for too long. I'm on the record now, John, and I want to pause for this. I wouldn't be shocked if whether he loses the election or something where he just says, I'm not leaving. I, I, I will not be surprised if something like that uh, happens. Pat Lopez, John Rash from the Star Tribune here. I'm looking at today's uh, editorial from the Tribune, pointing out that Donald Trump, the president, is coming to town next Thursday. Target Center, I'm assuming the building will be full. And the uh, editorial says this, Mayor Fry could have said that the city would provide security to make sure the supporters and opponents of the president are safe and that fundamental rights of free speech are upheld. He could have simply noted, as his city coordinator did, that officials are expecting protesters outside Target Center. He could have added, if he felt the need, that he shares many sentiments with the president's critics while assuring citizens of varying views that his staff is planning for the event and coordinated with other public agencies as they did for the Super Bowl and Final Four. And then you point out the quote from Jacob Fry. Our entire city will stand not behind the president, but behind the communities and the people who continue to make our city great and this country great. While there is no legal mechanism to prevent the president from visiting, his message of hatred will never be welcome in Minneapolis. John, you go first. You also point out, the two of you and others point out that Lisa Bent. The city council president echoed the statements of the mayor saying Trump's hate is not welcome in our community, but we cannot stop the visit. What what part, what words uh, bothered the editorial board most about uh, Mayor Fry in particular about the president's visit uh, eight days from now? I think that it was an opportunity for the city to be able to present itself in a different way, and no one expected and speaking for the board here, since that's the context of the question in which you asked, that the mayor and the president of the city council shared President Trump's views or would have welcomed him on stage. But it doesn't mean that one can't welcome the president of the United States to the city. And I think that perhaps it could have been a way with the national audience tuned in to the big visit that's coming up, which is his first rally after the Ukraine revelations have been released, that he could have shown Minneapolis as as a place, you know, that's different from the divisiveness that is gripping the country right here. So I think that's part of, of what we wanted, you know, to point at right there. I will add on a personal level that one of the challenges that is facing this state, many others, Governor Walls ran on this in terms of the divide between the rural and the urban and increasingly the urban and the exurban and even suburban here. And to the degree that that these statements do come out, it might exacerbate that divide, that divide, and that's not necessarily good for the city of Minneapolis nor the state of Minnesota. We we discussed this um, before this editorial went out, and one of the things that the editorial board has long been on the record for is wanting a more civil approach to politics. Uh, we badly need leaders who will take the temperature down a little bit. Uh, Mayor Fry had an opportunity to do that. He doesn't have to roll out the red carpet for him, but uh, he is the mayor for all of of Minneapolis, and that includes the people here who mm-hmm. support the president. Um, and the president is still the president of the entire United States. There should not be a state or a city that says we don't welcome you. Um, you know, it's his right to come here. Uh, he's going to be protected when he's here, and the public has to be assured that he's going to be protected here. We don't need to induce any kind of doubt that uh, Minneapolis will do its best uh, to ensure a smooth and peaceful visit. And I think those are the notes that needed to be hit. Um, Another time he can go off and 
you know, talk about his uh, opposition to the president's policy. But Which he has the, before, right? Which he has before and he will again, and that's his right to do. But in advance of a presidential visit, I think it's important to keep the temperature down, to keep it civil, to assure that um, this is going to go as well as Minneapolis can make it uh, happen. We've got about two minutes left. I want both of you guys to chime in. You first, Pat. Speaking of Jacob Fry, the policy comes out about police officers mm-hmm. in uniform and supporting candidates. This comes out just as Donald Trump is coming here. Clearly, it's a policy that's been discussed before. For a year yeah. is but, our But now it's enacted just eight days before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a coincidence for me. Well, uh, you know, Chief Arredondo said it just it, that it is a coincidence. I, it's hard to know whether it is or it isn't. But on a on a personal note, I have long thought that uh, you know when police are in uniform, uh, they leave their political persuasions behind. They should not be aligned with any candidate. They are not props to be used by political candidates, whether Democrats or Republicans or any other party. They are paid by all of the taxpayers in this um, city, in this county, in this state. And uh, they have to hold themselves to a higher standard. That uniform is not for sale or rent for political purposes. The big issue with officers in uniform is that the chief says there's not enough of them. He wants 400 more over a period of several years. Mayor has offered up only 14 in the first year, and even he has admitted that that will be difficult to get passed through a reluctant city council. That should be the debate over police officers in the city of Minneapolis that would really engage this city, and I think it's one that needs to happen. One only need to follow the news narrative on WCCO or the Star Tribune in terms of some of the high-profile crimes lately, that's what should be focused on. Yeah. It also doesn't help the police to be perceived as being aligned with one or another uh, political party. They, too, have to have credibility that goes toward everyone that they're supposed to protect. Great stuff, as always. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, John Rash and Patricia Lopez, they are kind enough to join us uh, each Wednesday right around one thirty-five.